Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. We're starting a new series, and the title of my sermon is very plain. It's called The Ascension of Christ. The Ascension of Christ. If you were uh, stranded on an island, and you only had the opportunity, or were allowed, to take one to five verses, or maybe a passage of Scripture with you, what verses would you take? Which ones would you bring? Now, if you're new and this is you're new to Christianity, don't feel bad for not knowing what verse. Just, you know, you can make up your own. That's fine. I'm just kidding. Um, John 3.16, right? Some of the most popular verses, maybe Philippians uh, 4, verse what is 11. I could do all things through him who strengthens me as you're climbing the coconut tree to get coconut milk because you are famished. You could maybe quote that on the island. What verses would you pick? Maybe 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter of love, right? It's one of the most popular. I think if you were to ask the uh, American church, uh, one of the most famous passages is John chapter 14. You'd probably want to pick something comforting. And this is a very comforting passage. Jesus is about to leave his disciples. This is his last discourse, his last sermon with his disciples in the upper room. And in chapter 14, he begins this after he washes his, uh, his disciples' feet and Judas leaves the room to betray him. Look at John 14. If you got your Bibles, you could go to John 14 real quick. To keep your finger in Acts 1. Jesus says this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, that's a good verse for when you're on an island. All right. I don't want my heart to be troubled. Now, the question is, why are they troubled? Why are the disciples' hearts troubled? It's, they're with their Savior. It's the Passover meal. Well, if you look in John 13, verse 31, it's because Jesus is telling them that he is about to leave. It says, now is, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him, verse 32 of John 13. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children. See how kind he is to his disciples. Yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. They're troubled. They've been with their Savior for three years. Wait, why are you leaving us? You're supposed to be the king. And so they're troubled. Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says to them. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Here's the promise. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am going or where I am, you will be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, for a Christian here tonight, that's an amazing promise. That's one that you should probably memorize that Jesus has gone to prepare a place. That Jesus, 
This is prior to his crucifixion, but he's saying, yes, I must descend in humiliation to the cross. I must die. I must bear your sin. I must bear the wrath of God, but I will be glorified. I will resurrect from the dead and I will prepare a place for you and I will come again and I will take you to where I am. That's a wonderful promise if you're a Christian here today. However, I think most of us are kind of like the disciples. When you hear this, uh, you're, you're, you're human. You're sinners, just like me. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think at least in one point in your life, maybe correct me if I'm wrong later, not during the sermon, please. You've probably asked yourself the question, why, Lord? Why did you leave? It would have been much easier to live this Christian life, to believe in you, maybe even to defeat my sin, to kill it. I struggle with, Lord, if you were here and I could see you, it might be easier to live for you. Why did you leave? You didn't have to leave. Why did you leave? And your heart is filled with sorrow. Right? Maybe you've thought that. Well, the disciples are in the same place. Lord, why, why are you leaving? And their hearts are filled with sorrow. Look at chapter 16. Later in the discourse, Jesus is talking to them. Look at verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage, Christian, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus' words here, it is to your advantage that he would go and ascend to heaven. In other words, Jesus is kindly rebuking the sorrow of their hearts. For He's saying, if you truly understood the ascension of Jesus Christ, if you truly understood what I'm about to do and that I must be exalted into heaven, you would not be sorrowful, you would rejoice In fact, if you understood the ascension, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, this room, if all of you understood it for what it truly means, this room will be filled with the most joyful Christians in all of Rockford, if not all of the world. I'm serious. In fact, joy, exceeding joy in worship was the response of the disciples when Colin read the passage, when Jesus was lifted up, they responded with great joy in worship, blessing him every day. I want that for you. And that will come when we understand what the ascension of Christ is. So my goal is to brand this forgotten doctrine of the ascension of Christ into your hearts. Why do I say it's a forgotten doctrine? Well, if you think about it, we celebrate Jesus' birth. That's Christmas. We celebrate Jesus' death, Good Friday. We celebrate Jesus' resurrection. But nothing is said about the ascension. Interesting. And I think it is one of the greatest sources of comfort and joy and also fear. Worship, uh, to give you a heart of worship. And so I want to uh, go uh, talk about the ascended king by asking three questions for you. It's very simple, okay? What is the ascension? What is the purpose of the ascension? And why does it matter for you, okay? So point number one, actually, let's turn to Acts chapter one. What is the ascension? Point number one, what is the ascension? Acts chapter one, this is our passage, verses nine through 11, but we'll start in verse uh, four. This is right after the resurrection. 
And while he was staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, a physical kingdom to overthrow the Romans? It's... He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or season that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here's our passage. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two angelic men, two men stood by them in white linen robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And they worshiped him. This is Luke 24. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Great joy. What is the ascension? Point number one. What is going on here? The ascension is part two of Christ's exaltation. Okay? I'll explain what that means. Part one was the resurrection. Part two is now the ascension. And the ascension is what Luke describes here in the book of Acts. Luke is the writer here. It is that he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is... The visible ascent of the mediator, the God-man, Jesus Christ, from earth into heaven. And this ascension was not just a way for Christ to leave the world, uh, like it's some sort of space travel, or some pagans believe that he ascended into the center of the sun, and uh, it is some weird stuff. No, this, is, this was no <clears throat> ordinary departure, though. It, it wasn't that, it wasn't just a simple leaving, but this was an extraordinary event. As you see in the text, what does it say in verse 9? He was lifted up and a cloud took him. Now, for some of you geography people, maybe our biology people, what kind of cloud was it? Was it a stratus cloud? Was it a cirrus cloud? I think that's one cloud. I don't know. The other ones I couldn't say. What, what is this cloud idea here, right? This is no ordinary cloud. What this is, is the is the glory cloud, is the Shekinah glory, is what it's called in Hebrew. Uh, the glory of the radiant glory of God that covers Jesus as he's lifted up. This is an extraordinary, miraculous event. <laughs> as Jesus is covered and lifted by this cloud of God's glory in his humanity. This is not like Enoch being taken directly to heaven or Elijah on chariots of fire. This is uh, the ascension is what R.C. Sproul states is the moment of Christ's highest exaltation until his second coming. The ascension is Christ's pathway to glory. He's going to glory. He's entering into glory as the exalted king. And so the key word is exaltation, okay? It's the key word because when we look at the life of Christ, I'm gonna teach you some theology here. 
people or theologians look at the life of Christ from his life on earth to his ascension to his second coming, and they, they see Christ's life and ministry in two states. Illinois and California. No, I'm just kidding. Not, not those kind of states, okay? They distinguish the two states of Christ in his life. So put it, think of it this way. If you were to ask Caitlin how we met and how I conned her into marrying me, um, she would usually tell the story by speaking of me of having two different states, one of me being immature and one of me being mature slightly, okay? And so that's kind of the same idea. And so the two states of Christ in a much greater and incomparable sense is that Jesus' life can be summarized as having one before his resurrection being in a state of humiliation. That's his suffering. That's his life under the law. That's him taking on flesh, right? A whole entire process all the way leading up to the cross was the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, experiencing humiliation. And then the second state, humiliation uh, from, the, from, the, sorry, from the resurrection onward, Jesus is now in, forever in a state of exaltation, in, in glory. And so we see this pattern here. This is, really, this is really helpful. You see humiliation, exaltation. Suffering, glory. Cross, resurrection. And that same pattern is the same pattern for the Christian life, is it not? It's through suffering, it's through humiliation that we then enter into glory. This is why it's important. So Christ's ascension is in an aspect, one of the highest marks of his exaltation. Jesus resurrects, he ascends, and then he sits on the throne and he will return. This all encapsulates his exaltation. So what is the ascension? It's Christ's leaving of earth in glory to a special place for a special purpose. So what is that purpose then? What is the purpose of the ascension now? We know what it is, but why? Why, why must he do this? That's point number two. What is the purpose? The first purpose is that Jesus must be ascend to be coronated as king, to, to go to his coronation. Anyone know what a coronation is? No. Or maybe some of you are like nodding, okay? Definition. He, uh, coronation is the ceremony of crowning a sovereign. In Lord of the Rings, we see the coronation of Aragorn at the end of movie three, right? When they're on top of the white city and they place a crown on him. In the Chronicles of Narnia, there is a coronation of the sun. I, I believe so, I, if my memory serves me right. There's a coronation process there. Uh, Thor was going to go to the coronation process and then he's thrown down and, you know, all the, the whole story, right? So Jesus must ascend because he must be coronated as king. Perhaps an illustration will suffice when the election in the United States, think of it this way, takes place on November 6th. Typically, we know who the winner is the next day, all right? And there is a president-elect. So we know who won. President-elect, whoever, right? There's the winner. There's the, and, but it isn't until a few weeks later that they go to their inauguration, right? They're not yet king or president. And then they you know, put their hand on the Bible and they go to their inauguration and they're inaugurated as the president. And then once they're inaugurated, they have access to the White House, right? And then they take their seat on the oval, in the Oval Office and they begin to govern until their time is up. 
Well, in the same way, at Christ's resurrection, he defeated sin and death and the devil. He won. Forty days later, he ascends to his coronation as king, to be crowned as the king of kings. And so you may be asked, okay, what did this coronation look like? Because from the perspective of Acts 1, all we are seeing, so from the perspective of the disciples, we're seeing Jesus being lifted up in this glory cloud. But what did this process look like in heaven? Well, what's really cool is in Daniel chapter 7, we get a picture of Christ's ascension, but from the perspective of heaven. Daniel 7, 13 through 14, Daniel sees a vision and he's seeing the Son of Man. He says this, he says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that is God the Father, and he was presented before him. And to him, Jesus was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel 7 gives us a picture of what that looked like in heaven. So some of you, all of you, if you were here, remember that vision. That's pretty amazing. So not only does the ascension show us the inauguration of the king, but also the inauguration of the kingdom of God. Because what's a king without a kingdom? And so here we see Jesus is given the kingdom and now he reigns as king of kings. Second purpose, why? Why, the, why must he ascend? Not only to be coronated, not only to attend his inauguration, but afterward to sit in the highest authority, the highest position as judge. He is now the cosmic judge of heaven and earth. So not only the king, but he must judge all peoples, nations, and tribes. Christ is the king and judge. Thirdly, thirdly, also to en- Jesus ascends to heaven to enter into the Holy of Holies as our great high priest. So he's a king, he's a judge, but a great high priest. This is what's really interesting. When God created the whole world, what did God call it? What did he say about it? He said it was what? It was bad. It was good. It was good. And it says in Genesis 1.31 that God pronounced a blessing over the earth. What we have here at the ascension in Luke 24 is in the same way Jesus is the one who ushers in the new creation by virtue of his resurrection from the dead. And he performed a similar blessing right before he ascends. In Luke 24, 50, it says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Now, what does this have to do with Jesus as our great high priest? What does this have to do with the ascension? It's a great question. What's so significant about this? Jesus is drawing our attention to Leviticus chapter 9, when Aaron, the great high priest, offers the first offering in the tabernacle and he lifts up his hands and he blesses the people as he makes a sin offering for them. Well, in the same way, Jesus, as our great high priest, must ascend to heaven and fulfill the role of a great high priest by interceding for us believers. His work was not done. His redemption had not been complete. Hebrews 4.14 says this, 
It says, since then we have a great high priest who passed through, ascended the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. In chapter nine, verse 12, he entered once and for all into the holy places in heaven, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Thus securing eternal redemption. If Christ doesn't ascend to be our great high priest, we don't have security in our redemption. Redemption is not accomplished. So he must ascend. And this is why the ascension matters. He is the exalted king. He is the judge. He is the priest. He is the head of the church. And he sends his Holy Spirit to bring lost people in from every tribe, tongue, and nation to gather Christ's people into the city of God, into the church, into Christ's kingdom until the time comes when he returns. So that's the purpose of the ascension, but why does it matter for you and me? How does this affect you going home tonight? Why does this truth matter for you? Why are the disciples filled with joy? Some of you are maybe getting a sense of it with some of these truths. Why did Jesus say it's to our advantage that he leaves? I have four things. Four things. Four applications. First, Christ's ascension teaches us, applies to us in this way. It means that we have an advocate, a defender, a defense attorney in heaven with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Why do we need a defense attorney? Why do we need an advocate? 1 John 2.1 says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. How many of you have sinned this week? All of your hands should go up. I wasn't expecting that, but it is more of a rhetorical question. I sinned this week. How many of you, you don't have to put up your hands, have, been, have received temptations and doubts of your salvation? How many of you have felt the attack of the devil in your own flesh saying you're not worthy to be a son or daughter of the king? How many of you have doubted Christ's salvation, doubting your salvation? How many of you have felt that you are an awful Christian, that you can't live up to the expectations? These are all flaming darts of the enemy. This is Satan accusing you. This is your flesh accusing you before God in heaven. And what we have in heaven, in Christ, is an advocate, a defender. Christ the righteous. Who, who, when Satan comes and he says, Look, why would, you, why would you love this man, JT? Look at his sin. Look at all the things he did this week in his thought life. Jesus says, Father, remember my, my, my sacrifice on the cross. You see my blood there? See me? See, see what I did for this, for this poor sinner? This is what it means for Jesus to be our advocate in heaven. This is why the ascension matters. We have someone in heaven defending, pleading our cause before God. What a glorious truth. You can live confidently for Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you sin willy-nilly. If anything, I don't want to sin because of that. 
I want to live more for Jesus because of what he does for me. I love what Kevin DeYoung says. Our Lord Jesus is in heaven pleading our case so that whenever Satan accuses us in our conscience, when our conscience dares delay a charge against us before the Father, Jesus Christ, God's own Son, and our flawless advocate stands ready to defend us and plead his own blood for our sakes. Think about that. Second, not only do we have an advocate, there's enough to keep meditating on that. When the world assails us, we have a defender. Second, Christ's ascension benefits us because now we have our own flesh in heaven. There is a, Jesus is in his humanity He has ascended into heaven, and that means something. Jesus, like us, he's human. We have our own flesh in heaven, and our lives, according to Colossians 3, 4, are hidden in Christ. And if Christ, who rose from the dead and is heaven now, that is the guarantee that our flesh, that our human physical body will be there someday as well. Our hope is not, Kevin Young says, Our hope is not in eternity as disembodied souls, but real, resurrected, material human bodies in God's presence forever. Christ's body is the first one there, but not the last. Now, for those of you that have lost loved ones or you know of Christians that have died and been with the Lord, their souls are in heaven with Jesus right now. It's what's called the intermediate state. But in the final judgment, when God makes all things new, our resurrected bodies, our physical bodies will meet our souls in heaven in the new new heavens and new earth for all of eternity. And if Christ is there, we know we will be there also. That's why the ascension matters. That's what fills their heart with joy. Third, Jesus said it himself. Christ's ascension benefits us because we get the Holy Spirit as a result. We get the Holy Spirit. What does he say in John 16, verse 7? He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because those do not believe in him. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. How does the Holy Spirit benefit us? The Holy Spirit makes us new. Gives us a new heart. Gives us new desires. The Holy Spirit, one of his main role, his main role, the Holy Spirit's main role, ordinary role is by illuminating the scriptures to us and by glorifying Christ, showing us who Christ is, by comforting us, by guiding us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He exalts Christ in us. He makes us more like Jesus. He applies the work of Jesus to us. That's a benefit. We receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, This is what's really cool. Ephesians 1.13 says that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. Inheritance is our future glory. Follow me here. 
50 of you in here, maybe not, some people might be home, but 50 of you have paid the price to go to camp. You've paid it, right? And your spot is now secured. You have a deposit. You've laid your deposit down. And though camp is in the future, you have security knowing that camp will be yours, right? You're going. You have a spot on the bus. Well, in the same way, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. He is the pledge. He is God's way of saying, you can be sure that that inheritance is yours. That's amazing. That keeps us fighting our sin. Keeps us loving one another and living for Jesus. And lastly, fourth, the ascension of Jesus Christ proclaims to us not only Christ's triumph over sin and death and the devil, but even for us as believers, it proclaims our triumph as well. That Christ's death is our death. That his resurrection is our resurrection. How can this be? That we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, Romans 8.37. How is that so? Because when you receive Jesus Christ by faith, the Bible says that you enter into a mystical union with him. You are brought into union with Jesus Christ. His life is your life. His good works become your good works. His life, your life. His death, your death. I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says. How? You were not crucified, Paul. How is that so? He's been brought into union with Jesus. Christ's victory, Christ's ascension is our ascension. And if we are brought into union with Christ, that means Christ right now in heaven. In a sense, we are in heaven with him now. In a spiritual sense, our union is with him. And Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, our life is hidden in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. That's a thought there. See, the ascension of Christ our King is a sweet comfort to us believers, but also a stern warning to those of you who are apathetic, who are prideful, and who have not bowed the knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a comfort because Christ is, has ascended, He has defeated sin and death, and we know He will return. It's a warning because He is the King. He is the judge, and he will bring judgment on all of those who reject him. He is the Lord. Do we live our lives as if he is the Lord? Do we live under his lordship, or is that only on Sundays and Wednesdays? Yeah, Christ is the Lord. All my other days, I'm the Lord of my life. You see? There's two people in here. There's a child of the king, and then there's the enemy of the king. And if a child, what a comfort and joy this message is for you. You know, you know what got Jesus through all of his suffering? You know why Jesus could make it through the cross? Was it not his contemplation of the future glory that he would have? And in the same way as Christians, as we walk through extreme circumstances, trials, and sins, we need to keep the ascension and our future glory at the forefront of our minds until he brings us all the way home. This is a message of joy that I pray brings worship into your heart if you are a child of the king. But if an enemy, this is a warning to you to repent and believe before it's too late. 
He is the sovereign king. He rules now. And every knee will bow before him. And every tongue, whether in heaven or in hell, will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Believe in him. He's such a good king. He's such a loving father. You need an advocate. You do. You need a defense attorney. Because Satan's accusing you, but you don't have the blood of Jesus covering you. So what does God say? You're right, Satan. You're right. But for us in Christ, we have the precious blood of Jesus covering us. What a sweet comfort that is. Let's pray.